Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Always fun to be back with you here at Timberlake. My name's Dave, and I'm from the sunshine state of Wisconsin. And uh, I saw, because I'm friends with many of you on Facebook, I saw that you guys experienced a little bit of Wisconsin, what was it, last week or two weeks ago, with all the snow. And uh, even for a Wisconsin boy, I was kind of impressed. And while you're experiencing that, you may be familiar with the fact, maybe you watch the news, that we were experiencing negative 50 below temperatures. That's no joke. That's, that is cold, and so we could all be in misery together at the same time, but uh, we're going to launch into this new series. By the way, my 13-year-old son loves this church and wanted to be with me this weekend, but when I got to the heart of why he wanted to be here, I'm not making this up. It was because you guys have food in the lobby and drinks. I'm like, no, I'm not paying for a ticket for you, for, for you to have food in the lobby. Uh, so here's the deal. We're kicking off a brand new series called Didn't See It Coming, and over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at different struggles and issues and difficulties that everybody in life faces, but none of us could predict. None of us ever realized that this is something that would be coming our way. And once we experience it, once it gets into our life and into our heart, it starts to affect us in so many different areas. All right? And so King Solomon of Israel, 3,000 years ago, he writes these words. He says, above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. This is a big deal that Solomon would write this, because he had just a vast amount of wisdom on lots of different topics. And so he wrote a thousand different songs, okay, almost as much as Bob Dylan. He wrote 3,000 different Proverbs. He wrote several books. Three of them ended up in our Bible. And he says, above everything else I've ever said, above everything else I've written, Like, this is right at the top of the list. Guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Pay attention to what's happening in here. Protect and defend your heart. And the reason he has to write this is just because as humans, we're not not that good, if we're honest, at protecting our hearts. We don't think that what we listen to, what we watch, the friends we hang out with, we just don't think that it affects us all that much. Now, as adults, we start to realize, eh, it probably has an impact, right? This is why companies spend crazy amounts of money advertising, because it does affect us. But when we're kids, when we're teenagers, we think we can watch anything, listen to anything, and it doesn't affect us all that much, because we're just idealistic. You know, we think, someday I'm going to be an adult. And when I'm an adult, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm going to have all the freedom in the world, right? When, when I'm an adult, I'm going to have problems, but everything's going to kind of fix itself. We're just idealistic, and you see this in speeches given by valedictorians, right? People are graduating, and they're like, we're going to take on the world, and you can do anything you set your mind to, and everybody cheers, and I think we need to keep having those speeches. Those are, those are great. We see this in yearbooks, specifically when seniors are allowed to put a quote next to their name, right underneath their picture, something to remember people by, and they do, you know, they have idealistic and optimistic ones, like you can do anything you set your mind to. You can become anyone. Let's keep it in there, right? 
Or how about, um, you know, dance like nobody's watching. Love like you've never been hurt. These are great quotes, but realistically, it's, it's hard to love like you've never been hurt. Right? And then there are some really abstract ones, like be the best version of you. Whatever that means, you know, and, and it's hard to remember this on a daily basis. Uh, personally, my favorite quotes are the ones that are way more realistic and just down to earth. Like Randy here in the yearbook, he, he put this as his quote, high school was easy. It was like riding a bike, except the bike was on fire and the ground was on fire and everything was on fire because it was hell. <laughs> Sophia, she quotes her mom. I'm surprised you graduated. <laughs> Some of your moms would have said the same thing, right? Daniel, he quotes his dad. Why you no doctor yet? Oh, the pressure, the pressure. Jaira, he's really optimistic. He says, if you like water, you already like 72% of me, right? Just filled with optimism. Here's Ethan. He says, if idiots could fly, this place would be an airport. We got just two more. Garrett, he obviously is self-confident. He says, I get butterflies when I think of myself. And probably my favorite, favorite comes from Jatavius. He says, they say cheaters never win, but I just graduated. <laughs> Boom. Right? For most of us, when we're in middle school or we're in high school, we're, we're just naive. We're filled with optimism. We have this great view of the world. We can do anything and become anybody. Which is why nowhere in anybody's yearbook did you or I ever write, well, I hope to grow jaded and distrustful of humanity by the time I'm in my mid-20s. Right? Nobody wrote down that my hope is that my outlook on the world is so negative that it damages my family and my ability to work with other people. Go Seahawks! Right? Nobody, nobody puts that into writing. Because we never think it will happen to us, but somewhere in our young adult years, somewhere in our 20s, our early 30s, that's where many of us find ourselves. We become cynical. We have a general distrust of people, and when we look at our world, we just think, well, everybody's in it for themselves. Right? They're, they're running for office, and I don't care who they are, they're going to let power corrupt them. That's just the way this world operates. It's something we don't see coming, which is why so many of us go through this transition in life from optimism to pessimism, and we become cynical. And there's obviously lots of reasons for that, right? For some of you, it's because you got into a relationship and you fell in love with someone and then they broke your heart. And it happened a couple times. You know, there's this quote that many of us have heard that it's better to have loved and lost than what? To never have loved at all. Well, obviously, whoever wrote that never had a girl named April in the ninth grade take their heart and stomp on it and try to hand it back to them. Right? For others of you, you poured your time and energy into a relationship, into a friendship. Maybe into your kids and they just never showed appreciation. You just feel like, why, why even bother? Others of you, you are in a career where it seems like everybody is in it for themselves. And, and then you meet someone and, man, they're the exception. And you just admire them, how they're able to rise above it all. But sure enough, after a few years, they're just getting sucked in the machine and there you go again. Everybody's in it for themselves. Everybody's greedy. Others of you, you're in a career where you help people and serve people and protect people. But you've been taken advantage of so many times and you've seen too much to believe the best in anybody anymore. And so over time, it's very easy to grow cynical, which is why King Solomon wrote those words, above all else, guard your heart. 
for everything you do flows from it. Pay attention to this. Protect it. For me, I knew or thought at least that I was going to be a pastor uh, like for, for my life when I was back in middle school. I just had a great experience with uh, the church I was a part of, and it just felt like, man, this is what I want to do with my life. So I would talk to my pastors, and I would, even at 13 years old, start to learn from them. I asked my student ministries pastor, can, can I give a talk in our youth group? And he'd let me speak for five minutes or 10 minutes every so often, and I actually have cassette tapes with that. And so from a very young age, I knew this is what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, then I went off to uh, university, learned how to be a pastor, and just really developed some, some skills to be able to do that. And finally, in my early 20s, I became a pastor. And I was filled with so much, so much optimism and hope and dreams for what I wanted to do with my life. And one of those dreams actually became reality 10 years ago. I was living here in Seattle, and I left, moved back to my hometown to start a church in my, in my hometown. Uh, Great Lakes Church. And so at 33 years old, my wife and I started Great Lakes Church. We poured our time, our energy, resources into this. And in order to kind of get off the ground, we decided to do some advertising. So we started with a relationship series that we called Thank God for Sex. And we sent out this mailer to 50,000 homes in our community. Well, having come from liberal Seattle and moving to conservative Kenosha, Wisconsin, I didn't realize the tension that would cause it. So one of the first calls I got up to send it out was from the school district letting me know that our lease at the elementary school we were at had been terminated. <laughs> we were gone, right? So now the mailers got the wrong location and wrong times. And then I started getting loaded up with phone calls and with emails from people that I didn't know, but man, they were not happy. Well, one of the emails said this. They said, don't ever mass mail crap like this to me again. If I want a freaking circus or a sex cult, there are a lot hotter places in town than yours. I beg to differ, right? Thank God for sex in my mailbox where the kids can see it. Jeez Louise, it's enough to drive me back to Rome and my rosary. Whoa. I laugh about it now, but man, that got me down. Here's one from a pastor. He said, you're certainly not a church and are not associated with the Bible and Savior of the one true God. I cannot even say, God have mercy on you. If you truly are a Christian, you're going to be very ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. Wow, take that down. I don't want people reading the rest, right? So here we are just a couple days into this new church, and my motives are being questioned, and the very condition of my soul is apparently at stake. It's easy to become cynical. And I just kept thinking in that time period. I remember it so clearly like, man, here we are. We've invested our time, our money. This is a dream of mine. And nobody believes in me. And, and nobody's for this church. And, and I'm not qualified according to these people. And, and, and I'm, this isn't a pity party because you have your stories. right? You got married. You're so optimistic. You had kids. Man, you just had this view of what family was going to look like. You got into a career. You want to be the top of the career. And then just over time, not meaning to. You didn't see it coming. Just started to get a little bit jaded and a little bit cynical. And it's not because you're evil. It's not because you have a, you know, bad, you're not a bad person. There's a couple reasons that it's easy to become cynical. One of them is this. Cynics know too much. Cynics know too much, right? The reason we're so happy when we're young is because we're naive. I remember like eight, nine years old, my parents would get in the mail these letters from publishers clearing house sweepstakes. And it was like every year we were one of the top 10 finalists. 
to being a millionaire, right? And I would get so upset with them, like, just send it in. It says finalist. And I try to read this and understand it. And well, we're just naive. We're, we haven't experienced much in life. And so it's easy to think, well, yeah, someday I'm going to fall in love. I'm going to get married. We're going to have kids. I'm going to be dad of the year, mom of the year. I'm going to start a company. It's going to grow, right? It's going to explode. And then it does explode, but not the way you were thinking. And you do get married, but it doesn't turn out happily ever after. And you have kids. You have this family, and you're looking at them sometimes thinking, oh, wow, <laughs> this is interesting. This isn't what I was imagining, right? And, and, and we become adults, and it's not exactly what we imagined when we were kids. Our problems don't just fix themselves. Relationships are even more challenging than when we're back in middle school and high school. And I, I think part of the cynicism comes from the fact that when we're growing up, we do think, well, as adults, everything's just great, right? The freedom, everything's there. And so we look forward to being an adult. And our first little dose of cynicism comes when this, this target of being an adult is just constantly moving. People keep kind of pushing it away, and we wonder if we're ever even going to get there, right? And it starts with Bear Aspirin telling you that you are an adult at how old? 12. That's when you can take two tablets, and you're like, yes, I'm a, I'm a big kid now, right? But the DMV, they says you're, you're mature, you've got freedom, you're responsible at how old? 16. So at 16, we feel like, oh, I'm an adult, right? The government says you can be involved in our political system, you can, you can vote at how old? 18. But if you want to buy alcohol when you're a real adult, you got to wait till how old? At 21, it just keeps moving. Oh, you want to rent a car? 25. But American Airlines tells you you're an adult at just two years old. So somewhere between two and 25, you're an adult. It just keeps moving. And so even growing into adulthood, it's just like, what? Cynicism, right? So 3,000 years ago, we see cynicism creep into the life of King Solomon. Here's a guy who was incredibly rich, incredibly powerful, and incredibly influential. Everywhere he went, people wanted to be around him. And I don't know why I do this, but in my mind, when I picture King Solomon, I always picture him like Snoop Dogg with a big fur coat just walking around. Everybody's like, I want to be your friend. And, and, and King Solomon of Israel, he, he grows cynical. And, and in the book of Ecclesiastes, just one of several books he wrote, he refers to himself in the third person. He calls himself the teacher. Here's how he starts. He says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. Right, this is Eeyore. He says, I've seen everything. I've experienced everything. I've, I've, I've felt everything. I, I, I've heard everything. And everything is meaningless. And then he asks this question. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? That's a great question, right? Because we sacrifice our health, we sacrifice our families at times to get a paycheck. And he says, so what does that profit you? What's, what, what's the result? So you get a paycheck, what do you do with it? Well, I buy things. I, I, I buy a home, I, I buy a laptop, I, I buy a, a cell phone. Like, I, I buy stuff with it. He said, that's great. But what do you do when it breaks? What do you do when it gets a couple years older? What do you do when it starts to have problems? Well, well, then I upgrade it. So I get a nicer home. And I get a nicer phone. And, and I get a nicer computer. He says, that's great, but what happens next? Well, you just go through life and that's all you do? Is you, you're sacrificing your health and your families for this? You just keep upgrading, upgrading? So eventually you get to the point, you die? And your kids put it all on the front lawn and mark it off for a couple of dollars? 
And then someone wants to offer them a quarter for it? Like, this is what your life is? And so Solomon continues. He says, generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. He says, if you die today, the world's just going to keep going on. Because it's been going on a very, very, very long time. And we are just a dot on the timeline of this world. We're just a blip on the radar screen of this life. And then he continues. He says, the sun rises and the sun sets. Then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. This book that he writes is the cynic's guide to the universe. He just says everything's meaningless. Religion, meaningless. Long-term relationships, they're meaningless. What's, what's the work? It just turns into meaningless. Pay, uh, paychecks, meaningless. And you start to wonder, like, what got into his heart? And he explains it as he wraps up the chapter. He says this. He says, the greater my wisdom, the more I see, the more I understand, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Now, these aren't exactly verses that we're going to go and put on the Instagram today. But Solomon does a really good job of diagnosing the problem. He says, I'm not very hopeful because I've seen too much, I've heard too much, and I've experienced too much. And the more we go through in life, the easier it is to become cynical. Because we've seen a whole lot unfold. And so we stop having hope in any politician. And we stop having hope in any religious leader. And in any lawyer. Right? Because we just, they're all grouped in the same type of categories. And I've seen this unfold in my life multiple times where just cynicism fueled what I said to people and cynicism fueled how I, I viewed things. I, I worked with students for about 10 years, so the area I got most cynical was teenage love, right? Because they'd be dating for like two weeks and it's like, oh my gosh, don't tell me. No, you're talking marriage already? Slow down there, killer. You know, it's just like, that's, that's extreme. And, and, and every so often I would actually assert myself where it was not needed. And I would kind of try to put out the fire of this young love, right? And I think about a girl, Morgan, uh, 18 years ago, she was in this group of, of students that, that I led, and, and she's dating a guy named Daniel, and, and I'm just ashamed, but I literally looked at her, and remember this so clearly, I just said, Morgan, lose this guy. He's a loser. He's not a hard worker, right? All he wants to do in life is just kind of get by. He's, just, he's not worth it. And she's like, oh, but his character, he loves the Lord, Dave. And I'm like, I don't care, man. Just lose this guy. Well, she didn't listen to me, and it caused, you know, a little bit of tension there. And, and I look back now at times that I said things like that, did things like that, and I'm thinking, that's just dumb, right? That's just cynicism fueling this stuff. And the thing about cynicism is even though we might be right some of the time, we don't realize how clouded our thinking is and and, and our cynicism can actually keep others from being hopeful. And so it's easy to be cynical because part of life, right, part of, part of going through life is we just, we see too much and we know too much and we've experienced too much. Another reason it's easy to be cynical is we all have a past. We all have hurts, we all have things that we've gone through and experienced. And cynics have this tendency to then project the past onto the future. So you fell in love and the relationship fell apart. So you tried to open your heart again, but you've been hurt. Right? You, you had a friendship and for whatever reason, that friendship, it went south. And they took things that were private and personal things you had shared together and they started to really hurt you with it. And you want to open your heart, but it's just, it's too hard to trust. For some of you, you poured yourself into a career. And then instead of getting promoted, you got demoted. 
Some of you lost a job. If we do not learn to guard our heart, the hurt of our past will project a death sentence on our future. And the reason this is such a big deal is because our hearts don't have compartments. So it's not like I can just shut one compartment, right? This person hurt me, so I'm shutting my heart off to them, and I'm going to go through life and, and, and try to be optimistic about everything. Our heart has no compartments. It's either closed or it's open. So when somebody hurts us without realizing it, it affects our, our, our relationship we're in our marriage. It affects our parenting. It affects our career. It affects our relationship with God. We don't want it to, but our hurt has a way of doing that. And over time, we stop hoping and believing and seeing the best, and we just conclude this is as good as it gets. Another reason that it's very easy to be cynical uh, is because cynics find one another. And so we start to see a few things negative in the world. That's just normal. And what do we do? It just We draw to other people who see things the same way. You do not attract what you want in life. You attract who you are. Negativity finds negativity. And because this is so pervasive, this is so wide in our society, it's just very easy to get drawn in. I love what King Solomon's father, David, uh, writes in Psalm chapter 1. He says, God's blessings follow you and await you at every turn. There's so much good happening in this world. He says, they await you at every turn when you don't follow the advice of those who delight in wicked schemes, when you avoid sin's highway, when, you, when judgment and sarcasm beckon you, but you refuse. God's blessings are out there. Good things are at every turn. But you've got to resist this draw towards negativity. One more reason that it's easy to become cynical as part of human nature is we generalize. We put people into groups and categorize. And, and that's what cynics do. So just part of being human, it's easy to become cynical. Cynics generalize a lot. They label people. They, they say, well, everybody's like this, right? All men are like this. All women are like that. I don't trust any politician. The CEO of every insurance company is the spawn of Satan, right? No news network is ever fair. They're all entertainment. Pharmaceutical companies, they don't care about you as an individual. They just care about the bottom line. I don't trust realtors or lawyers, car salesmen. Every business, every nonprofit, every religious organization cares about one thing, your money. We're not even people anymore. We're targeted consumers. Cynics see everything as a conspiracy theory. And the problem with cynicism is it leads to despair, which is why this amazingly wise and powerful and influential king can get to the point where he just says everything's meaningless. Religion's meaningless. The paycheck, it's meaningless. Now the good news is, whether you believe it or not, cynicism is a choice. It doesn't have to get into your heart. Life doesn't make you cynical. You make you cynical. Life's going to throw some bad things your way. Life's going to throw difficulty and issues. Life's going to throw things your way that you wish on nobody. But it's your choice and it's my choice whether we close our hearts. It's your choice or my choice whether we stop engaging or stop trusting or stop believing or stop hoping. That is a decision we make. And I want you to know this. Just because it is your present doesn't mean it has to be your future. People can change. You can change. Last week I was done 
giving a talk at the church that I pastor, and one of the individuals in the church came up to me and said, hey, Dave, I appreciated your talk and everything you said, but I disagreed with you on, on one thing. And I said, well, what, what is it? You have the right to be wrong. What, tell me what, what it is. And, and they had, you know, a little grin. And, and they said, you, you said people can change. And I'm just going to tell you, I've seen too much in life, and I'm too old to believe that's even possible. And, and this is what I said to them. I said, if you don't believe people can change, then you should leave our church. I said, because here's, here's the thing. The heart of our faith, the foundation of our faith, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is this message that when everybody else sees death, God sees life. When everybody else sees despair, God says there's still hope. When everybody else thinks it's over, God says, no, it's not over. This is core to our faith. God is constantly bringing dead things to life. I said, I could tell you the stories of my dad growing up and how he has become a completely new person. I could tell you stories in my life where I've been changed. I said, so if you don't believe people can change, we might as well close the doors of our church and sell everything on eBay. And so we have to train our heart, ourselves to open our hearts. And we'll find as we do that, most people aren't out to hurt us. One of the greatest leaders in the history of our church, even if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're kind of in this exploration stage, I'm guessing you've heard of him. His name is Paul. The Apostle Paul. There are churches named after Paul. There are cathedrals named after him. There are cities named after him. All right, well-known guy. In the first century, he wrote many, many letters to followers of Jesus. And the audience that he was writing to were individuals living in tough, tough cycles of poverty. They were living in, in, in difficulty when it came to employment. When it came to just life, there was a lot of brutality and slavery and abuse. If you were following Jesus, you were experiencing persecution. And so the average person following Jesus, their life was not good. And yet, through the writings of the Apostle Paul, it seems like they were able to rise above so much of what was happening in their world. Politically, economically, the way they were being treated. And we know this because of how Paul addresses his readers at the start of his letters. Let's just look at a couple of those letters. Romans uh, to the to followers of Jesus in Rome, he says, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. In difficult times, in persecution, your faith is still strong. To those living in Ephesus, he wrote, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. You have every reason to be cynical and jaded, but you still, your faith is strong. To those living in Philippi, he writes, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. To those in Colossae, he writes, we always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Some of you are living in poverty, but you're still generous. You're still open-handed. To those in Thessalonica, he writes, And as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. They found a way to rise above the politics and the disagreements and the financial pressure and the stresses of their day, the persecution that they experienced. If you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to be one of the most optimistic people in your workplace. You ought to be one of the most hope-filled people in your family. 
You ought to see things differently than everybody else sees because that is where our faith brings us. And if you find yourself moving towards cynicism, you need to fight it. And your attitude needs to be, I need to stay hopeful, I need to stay uh, excited and optimistic because we have every reason to do that because of our faith. Followers of Jesus can look at things that are dead and have no life and say, we believe in a resurrection. We believe people can change. So 18 years ago, I tell Morgan, lose that guy, man. And she doesn't listen to me, and she dates him, and she goes on to marry him. They've been married now for 16 years. Daniel's become an amazing husband. He's become an amazing hard worker. He uh, loves uh, children. That's his ministry is to children. And so every year that I remember, I go onto social media on their anniversary. I don't remember every year, but I just write, I was wrong. Daniel, you're an amazing dude. I'm glad you guys got married. If you're trapped in cynicism, it's possible for your heart to open again and for you to trust again. But there are a couple things you need to do, and we're going to walk through these quickly as we start to wrap up. One of the things you have to train your heart to do, and I have to as well, is, is to be curious. Instead of having all the answers, we need to have a whole lot of questions. I mean, how many times have we met someone and we made an assumption about them? We didn't like them. They, they, you know, they made us feel uncomfortable for whatever reason. But then we learned about their story, and we're like, whoa. Whoa, I, I kind of understand now. If we don't guard our hearts, the evening news and what we read on social media is going to impact our view of the world. And of course we're going to look at our world and say, oh, this place is miserable. It's getting worse and worse and worse every day. I recently read a book called Factfulness. Fascinating book, and it lays out an argument that our world is actually not getting worse. It's dramatically getting better in many, many ways. Extreme poverty is decreasing at an alarming rate. More and more people have access to education than ever before. The percentage of women around the world being given opportunities is increasing exponentially. 80% of our planet now has access to electricity. More and more people have access to clean drinking water. Our world's getting better, but if you want to be cynical and you want to close your heart and you don't want to ask questions and you don't want to learn new things, you'll always believe it's getting worse and worse and worse. Curious people want to learn. They want to keep their eyes open and their minds open. They want a shift to happen in their thinking, but that doesn't happen on accident. I think all of us ought to train ourselves to be curious about what God is doing around the world, about life change that's happening on every continent. Be curious about what God has done throughout history because sometimes all you need to do is look at the past to be reminded about what he's able to do in the future. So instead of having to have all the answers, ask questions. Be open to new friendships. Read books that you've never read before. Be curious. Number two, you want the cynicism chipped away in your heart? Start to train yourself to focus on the good. So our grand opening, I get these negative emails and man, it, it, it was overwhelming. And I just felt like the biggest loser, and I felt like, man, uh, this is the wrong time. I did this in the wrong way. And even though my motives were true, you know, pure, it just, I went back in preparation for this talk and just read through the emails I received in that, that time period over a couple of days. And the emails I read to you are just a small, small, small percentage. The vast majority I got were encouraging, were uplifting, but it's interesting how our minds go to the negative. It's interesting how I just let that dictate me. This is why the Apostle Paul writes, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. 
Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Recently, I was listening to a leader of a large organization talk about how he had to get intense therapy for the many, many people who had hurt him in his life in deep ways, and it was starting to affect his family, his, his parenting, uh, the, the people he worked with and oversaw in this, in this corporation. And he, he, he said, it had just gotten me down to the point I needed to, to go to intense therapy, so I was there for a week. And he says, on the first day, the therapist hands me a notebook and says, throughout the week, as we meet and whatever, throughout the week, I want you to write down the names of everybody who's hurt you deeply, who's affected the way you live and your speech and everything else. And, and uh, we'll do other stuff, but at the end of the week, I'm, I want those names from you. And so the last day of this therapy comes, and he says, I was actually embarrassed because I hand this notebook to them, and I had thought it was going to be filled up with names, and there were less than 10 names on there that I could think of. Less than 10 people who were affecting me and how I treated my wife, less than 10 people affecting me in how I was doing parenting, less than 10 people affecting me in how I was viewing the people, this, this organization, thousands of people, less than 10 people. We got to learn to focus on the good and train ourselves to focus on the good. And then just one more idea, if you want the cynicism chipped away, find a way to serve others. Find a way to be a life-giving person to someone else. Find a way to be an encourager Find a way to put the spotlight on another person. Everybody goes through life wanting to be the hero. Consider what it looks like to be a hero maker. Invest your time in someone else. Just a simple discipline anybody can do is getting the discipline of writing thank you notes. Right, of thanking people, of calling out the potential in them. I've always known that this is a good habit. I've struggled with it because I'm busy and running campuses and we've got so much going on at the church, just like you. Just like your life, right? Just like your parent, you're running kids around and we're all crazy busy. And so I kind of let this be an excuse, but there's something about six months ago that really fueled my, uh, my writing of thank you notes and being a life-giving person. When you do that, you see the good in people because that's what you're focusing on. What fueled it was I, I listened to a podcast in which Frank Blake, the former CEO of Home Depot, was being interviewed. And he talked about his practice of writing thank you notes. And he said, you know, I knew it was a good thing to do, but I never saw, like, understood how much impact it had. He said, I would actually just not write thank you and sign my name. I would write thank you for something specific. He had set up a system where he was able to learn about um, how different associates were doing things to move the mission forward. So he would say thank you. He'd write something specific. He said, you're helping move our mission forward. He said, but where I realized how much power it had is I was walking through one of the stores one day. And uh, an associate came up to me. And stopped me and said, sir, you wrote me a thank you note a while back. Would you please be willing to do that again for me? Could you write me a new one? And Frank said, I guess I could. Why why do you need a new one? And they said, because when I received your note, nobody, including myself, actually believed you wrote that. We thought it was a robo-pen. We thought it was a, a printer where it looked like real ink. And so I actually ran it underwater to see if the ink would bleed. And sure enough, it bled. So I have this, but it's all blurry now. And he said, it was on that day that I realized how important these were. And so Frank says, it just fueled my discipline. He said, well, I was CEO. I would write on every single Sunday afternoon between 100 and 200 handwritten thank you notes. He said, to this day, I've written over, you're not mishearing me, 400,000 thank you notes. Well, let me tell you, you're doing that. You're focusing on the good, right? You're, you're, You're building people up. You start to see the good in life. You start to be optimistic again. 
You start to be hopeful towards the world. And so if you want to protect your heart and guard your heart from cynicism, stay curious, focus on the good, and serve others. And don't do it because it's the right thing to do or because some guy named Dave gave a TED talk in front of us. No, this is core. This is, this is foundational to following Jesus. The number one question that I ask the people I pastor at Great Lakes Church is how is your life different today than it was a year ago because of Jesus? How are you talking differently? How are you treating differently? What, what relationships have been restored? And it wasn't because you wanted to restore them. It's because you chose to because of what Jesus is doing in your life. I said, because if we can't point to how our life is different today than it was a year ago, even things we believe differently, I said, I'm just not convinced that it makes all that big of a difference. I said, and so we have to surrender. We have to submit ourselves and say, Jesus, you need to do a work in my heart. And my hope today is that because of what Jesus is doing in your heart, you don't lose hope. You always believe that God can do a miracle. You always believe, as easy as it is to become cynical, that God can still answer prayer. That your child who's been going down the wrong path in life, that they can turn around. That your marriage, which seems like it's on its last leg, can still be restored. That God can still change people. That he can still change you. And even if he doesn't fix everything the way you want it to in this situation, it doesn't change who he is and it doesn't change his character. I hope that cynicism doesn't destroy you. Because we don't see it coming. And it can get into our life. Don't ever stop believing that things which are dead, relationships, hope, financial situations, don't ever stop believing that just because something's dead, it can't be brought back to life. That's what God is all about. It's at the core of our faith. So Solomon says, guard your heart. Above everything else, you need to guard your heart. Out of it, everything else flows. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting timberlakechurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.